The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution, or don't listen at all. TV party tonight! TV party tonight! Oh, we got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple of brews. Don't want to talk about anything else. We don't want to know. We're dedicated to our favorite shows. Oh, my tickets. Everybody loves your photos. Scary dog. Dancing at Blurred What's up, everybody? If you can't see me, that's because I am the Invisible Man tonight because I'm having camera troubles along with just general life troubles, you know, and uh, I want to cry a little bit, but that's okay. My name is Ronnie Adams. I am formerly of the Screaming Boy podcast, currently of the Misfits and Miscreants Live's Twitch stream. I'm here tonight with the one, the only, the Mr. Amazing Pat Mullen. How are you tonight, Pat? I'm great, Ronnie. I, I thought you would have said you couldn't see you because you're John Cena, and uh, that would have been better. God, I'm very sorry that the night's not going your way so far, buddy, but this is where we pick it up and we have some fun. It is going my way tonight right now because I'm here with you, sir. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's my yeah, it's it's absolutely my pleasure. But, hey, we, we have very much in common, you and I. We do. Um, but one of those things in common that we have is uh, – uh, taste in TV shows, I found out. Now, not so much movies, but TV shows particularly. Um, we found one. You and I uh, found one. Actually, I think you're the one that turned me on to it. Uh, I thought I about have. it. And, uh, you, and you said, no, watch it because it's it's absolutely amazing. Uh, and tonight we're going to be talking about the first season of the new Sylvester Stallone show, Tulsa King. Now, this... Um, this oh my gosh wow that was uh i feel like i'm podcasting with mark yeah right (laughs) (laughs) yeah suck it mark um but anyway no i love mark we both love mark yes he helped us out tonight we're running a little bit late because of my stupidity but hey you know uh tulsa king is a crime drama television series that is currently on paramount plus streaming stars uh steven stallone or still steven sylvester stallone uh and that's actually I think this is Stallone's first lead in a television show. Yeah, it is. He's always been a box officer, you know, movie guy, and yeah, fly on the small screen. Right on. Well, he plays a mafia capo who just got out of prison and is sent to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he tries to set up a criminal organization. Well, that there—that's what caught my attention because <laughs> I'm a—I am a big. Uh, Godfather, Mafia, anything fan. I I, I, I eat that stuff up. Um, I even watched, uh, wow, what was the uh, um, uh, Bugsy Malone and all this, you know, the some of the, the no, it's not Bugsy, but it's one of them that is not very good. Uh, and it had uh, uh Christian Slater and a few others, mobsters, mobsters, mobsters with, with Richard Rico and yeah, yeah, rough one, but it's still, I still love it. I still love it just because, you know, it's just one of those movies that that I I, I can, uh, you, no matter who you are, in my opinion, and I don't know if you feel the same way, and I'll open up to you, you always kind of want to be that cool. Mobsters have always, gangsters have always been, not, have always been cool with the 
the suits and the the machismo and the you know you just you know the confidence that oozes from each one of these guys. I mean, what about you? Uh, Ronnie, you're talking to a guy who grew up in New York, specifically in Brooklyn. So it's true. You know, it's I'm in I'm in you know very big uh, Bob territory at least at one time, and uh, yeah. you, you know it was kind of it was kind of being phased out a little bit in real life as I was younger. And uh, but then as I got to like my formative years, that's when stuff like The Sopranos hit. And of yeah. course, you know, there's always the Godfather trilogy always on AMC and Goodfellas and being around some types like that when I was younger and a little bit older, too. Uh, it's always been a lifestyle that is very uh, not glamorous, but very just easy to become infatuated with on one end or another and want to know more about and man, it would be cool to live like those guys. And then you realize you probably have to kill somebody or do something that you might not want to do. And then eh, it's not as cool as I thought. Maybe I'll just wear a suit with some stripes on it. Well, the way that, the way that these movies make it look, it looks very glamorous because of the suits and the rings and the, and the, and the power that comes with it. When you can walk into a, a restaurant or somewhere and they immediately start clearing your table off and you sit down, they immediately know what you want or they just bring you things. I mean, I've always wanted to watch. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, I've always wanted that. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, just uh, you know, it's a, it's uh, some kind of life when Bobby Vinton sends you champagne as you watch him sing. You know, right? Exactly. I mean, man, come on. If if he just if if you're famous enough for Bobby Vinton to 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 court or you know to um, to impress, then you know you you you've done something with your life. And we're dating ourselves with the Bobby Vinton reference. That's a scene of Goodfellas. Uh, the, the modern day equivalent of Bobby Vinton would be like if Michael Buble sent you champagne down at your table as you watch him sang. To exactly. Exactly. Or the rap pack. Even the youngins know the rap pack, I hope. I mm. hope everybody knows old blue eyes, and but probably not. But, you know, the cool thing about this, too, is, yeah, we, we love mob stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, we both have similar taste in that respect. Um but then on top of that, you know, Stallone, despite, you know, being of Italian ancestry, very obviously, is not an actor very associated with these types of movies and films. Um, right. You know, he, did, he did Oscar, uh, if you remember that one, Ronnie, uh, which was a mob comedy. Yeah, and I try not to remember it, but. Yeah, not there. one of Sly's uh, most beloved works. But and then he did he did some minor stuff like Get Carter, Avenging Angelo, when he had been kind of phased out of Hollywood when they told him, hey, you're too old to still be starring in things, Sly. Yeah. And, uh, but they weren't really of this type of ilk where it's more in he's a mobster doing mob guy things. And so the the appeal of that being a lifelong basically Stallone fan um, in this vein and in a series, nonetheless, not even just 90 minutes or two hours, but a whole series Right, uh, really appealing to me to start with. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen Stallone. Well, of course, what he's, he hasn't done in, in a series, and that's what I, you know, you have those different kinds of actors that they're just born for this either the screen or the or the small screen or the you know the big screen or small screen. Um, and Stallone has always been the big screen guy, and I never thought he could pull off uh, an episodic show. And so far. Man, this show is, I'm not going to lie, this show is like, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, riveting. It keeps me coming back, man, every single time. Whether it's a, a cliffhanger or whether it is um, 
or or if it's just a, a simple ending that just you know that something's about to break off next episode, or even if it's just like, hey, maybe he buys a horse next episode or something, you know, <laughs> which it's happened, it, which has which did happen. So it, it's I, I love I've loved every minute of the show. I, I've I've not really come into anything that makes me go, eh. but even down to the music and everything else, the camera work. Um, now, when I first heard about it, you know, Tulsa King, I said they're going to try to pull off organized crime, mobster stuff in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know, Not you known saw, as the mob forefront of the United States. Not known for much in the United States other than, you know, ranches and horses and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's definitely not only is it a mob mob show, but it's a fish out of water story as well, sort of. Yeah. And how well he acclimates himself to, to whatever how well he acclimates everyone else to him. It's not that he's getting used to out there. He's making sure they get used to him because he ain't changing. And that's the other thing I love about it. He's not, he's not one to, to really uh, make sure that he fits in everywhere. He makes sure everywhere fits him in. Yeah. It, you know, to, to quote the great uh, cartoon character, Popeye, uh, I am, I am what I am. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as opposed to most fish out of water stories we see, it's usually someone coming to terms with the change of their environment and adapting to it. This is a guy who is who he is, and he's going to have the environment adapt to him and the people around him adapt to him. And that's why it's funny to say this, but in 2022, now 2023, we have a concept with a fresh take starring Sylvester Stallone. Oh, my gosh. And then, I mean, Stallone's amazing, but he's no he's no spring chicken right now. He's 75 years old and you know, he still looks like he's cut from pure stone, yeah. but he's, he's, you can tell there's a little bit of age creeping in there. The tattoos are starting to fade a little, you know, things like that. I mean, but, you know, listen, we should all hope to be 75 years old. First of all, to even live that long Second of all, to, to look as good as slide does and carry himself yeah. as well as slide does in this point, you know? straight you know the shoulders back the 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 straight posture and everything i'm like good lord well i mean and they don't shy away from his age in this either i mean no when they, you episode one he is just getting off a 25 year stint in prison that he he took on the chin to keep other people out of trouble yeah and that's an important part of, of the series uh and of the lifestyle to kind of set it and um you know we'll also mention that this series was created by taylor sheridan um, oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Taylor Sheridan, also the creator of another one of my favorite series, and I'm pretty sure it's one of yours too, Ronnie Yellowstone. Oh my God, I love Yellowstone. Yeah. Yeah. Also with one of our childhood favorites that we grew up with, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Yeah, and a lot of the the creative team and the writing team that's on this show has, if you look at their their uh, their list of credits, they've worked on stuff that I love and you love too. too. Um, you know, obviously, we just named Taylor Sheridan, who had worked on Yellowstone. He worked on Sons of Anarchy. You have Terrence Winter writing. Yeah. You have Terrence Winter writing about half the series who worked for a long time on The Sopranos. I believe he he's authored about a third of that series uh, yep. screenplays. Um, you have Regina Carrado, who, if you don't know who Regina Carrado is, she worked on Deadwood and John from Cincinnati, two very popular HBO series, although one was canceled very early. Um, but two series with cult followings that I happen to enjoy both series. Um, so for someone like me, this is like an all-star panel of creators and writers forging in to, to make this series. Absolutely, man. And that's, and 
reading that and and know and and it finally sinking in. That's I understand why I love it so much now. <laughs> but uh, because I'm into no matter what, I mean, I'm really into Yellowstone. I do like um, the other two spinoffs, um, which are dates, and I'm terrible at dates. But uh, 1888 and uh, or 1883 and 1923, I believe they are. Yeah, that, yeah. that's yeah, that's right. <laughs> but um, which I'm a I'm a Sam Elliott fan through and ah. through. No oh, matter yeah. what he does, he could just look in the camera and say "amigo" for a half an hour, and I would be like, I would give it five stars. <laughs> um, I'm a I'm a Harrison Ford fan to. Uh, for the most part, and there's our first difference of the night. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah, for the I said for the most part. Now, has he done bad things in the past? Yeah, he's done a couple. You, you've mentioned Patriot Games, and I'm not a big Patriot Games fan either. But um, there's other things that you know, we won't talk about. The fourth uh, Indiana Jones movie, which doesn't exist. Um, but you know, it's hard for me to not like Indy. But he's pretty good in this. I mean, he, all he has to do is just stand there and be old and grizzled, which. <laughs> <laughs> he got down pat. He's 80, 80 some years old now. Yeah. So, um, but, but yeah, like you were saying, um, we find out that the character of Dwight, the general man, Frady, that we're introduced to, he's done a 25 year stint for the family. Didn't turn state's evidence. Didn't rat on anybody. Um, basically held the code that's called Omerta, which is the code of silence. And that's what's expected of a wise guy. When they go away, you take it on the chin, you do your time. And when you come out, things will be okay. Um, this series kind of ventures away from that, where instead of coming out and being okay, what they do is they decide they're going to exile him basically like Napoleon, uh, to this faraway land and where they send him to is Tulsa, Oklahoma, which like we talked about, not really known for anything other than cattle ranches and being in Oklahoma. And so, you know, part of, part of a lot of the appeal of like when Terrence Winter is writing Sopranos is how much stuff they nail in terms of wow, that's realistic. Wow. That's how this would go down. Yeah. And while that's not necessarily in that vein, it does make for a good start to the series and where things can go. At least that's how I felt about it. Well, I mean, he's a well-respected capo. I mean, he's a well-respected member of the, of the family, but that way Um, he took his 25 years. And when you do things like that, if I'm not mistaken, you're supposed to come out and be a made man. Um, they take care of you basically. They're like, cause you, you did a, you did a big favor depending on what it is. You did a favor for the family. Yeah. Well, that's not made man. Made man is basically when they officially induct you into the mafia. Um, gotcha. when, they, when they open yeah. the books, that's a little different. Um, but, but in this instance, when you do your time like that, as a stand up guy, you don't say anything, you come out, you're supposed to come home to, you know, big wad of cash. Uh, you get your, your old, uh, you know, rackets back, whatever they may be. Maybe it's collections in this vein, or maybe you have a company that does construction in this vein. You're, you're back into that field. If you had customers of yours, say, and you were uh, bookies and taking their action, you get them back. That, that, at least that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, for example, you've seen Goodfellas. Yeah. Uh, the character Billy Bats that uh, is killed in Robert's Lounge Bar by Tommy. Oh, yeah, Jimmy. yeah. Uh, that guy had just gotten home from jail. Uh, in real life, what had happened was that character, the real Billy Bats, had uh, come out of jail. And while he was away, Jimmy, the character played by Robert De Niro, had taken over some of Billy's enterprises and didn't want to give them back. So rather than give them back to Billy, they just decided to kill him and they'll just keep everything. Um, right. Which is also another big no-no. And we'll talk about that because that happens in episode one. Um, so Dwight gets out and 
gets told he's being exiled to Tulsa. And he has a little bit of a tit for tat with another captain, uh, Vinny. And in response, he breaks Vinny's jaw. Yeah. yeah. And um, Vinny's played by Vincent Piazza, but he's also another made guy. And one of the big rules in the mob is no matter what, unless you receive a boss's permission, you are not to put any type of hands on another made guy, regardless of the circumstances. So that and alone would be enough to have somebody killed if they touched another made guy, as is what happened to Tommy in Goodfellas. Um, and in this instance, it would it would normally be if Sly broke his jaw. OK, Sly's got to go. But they address this and build on the narrative and have some fun with it, which I'm OK with. Right. Absolutely. The the whole show. Oh, gosh. I mean. Even though he's a bad guy, and I, look at that. I just turned something on, and it, and it is broadcasting. So I better turn that off. Um, <laughs> I was just trying to see what would work, and that does work, thankfully. But, but now I've embarrassed myself. But anyway, um, <laughs> but he, he is technically a bad guy you know per se but you, you you can't help but cheer him along even in you know the first episode you're like you know okay what's this guy he's getting out of prison we don't know what you know um 25 years we don't know what he's going to do with himself he gets back and they say you're exiled to tulsa oklahoma go out to tulsa and start earning that's your that's your only find your own way to do it you're not to come and, back here. we don't have anything for you in new york mind you it's not as though they're sending him to an operation they already have up and running right which sometimes is the plan when things like this happen where it wouldn't necessarily be in a Tulsa, Oklahoma, but let's say they're a family that's based in uh, New York and they have an operation that they need help with running, uh, you know, say uh, non-tax stamp cigarettes from North Carolina to New York. Hey, yeah. we need you to head down to Charlotte and supervise that end for a little while. Something like that. This, they're basically sending him off into no man's land with no one and nothing. So uh, they tell him, yeah, start earning. So it's up to him. And, Part of the he charm of the character uh, oh, yeah. is that he's able to just go in and start doing things. And well, he jumps he, off the plane in the first episode, immediately hires a taxi cab driver as his personal driver, acquires a car, gets a hotel room, and then goes to a weed dispensary and a marijuana dispensary. Finds out, uh, goes in, uh, finds out it's legal to sell marijuana there, and basically just says, "I'm your new partner." Yeah, like, well, you and no, you can't do that, and. He just said, no, I can't. I'm your new partner and deal with it. And he, after he breaking the guy's face. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the water water bottle. Yeah, Fred. <laughs> but yeah, see, for as much as, you know, you can't touch a made guy and you wouldn't get sent there. The part where he goes into the dispensary and basically shakes down Bodie, who is the owner played by Martin Starr. Um, yeah. And, and basically, one, fronts it as a protection racket. Yeah. And then two turns it into a full on, not a bust out, but basically a forced partnership. Yeah. Is exactly how it would go down. Yeah. When these things happen in real life, which that was amazing the way they, they handled that. Well, even I love the fact that he goes, okay, now I'm, you know, uh, you just consider protection. And the guy's like, protection from what? We're in Oklahoma. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that would be like that. But no. Yeah. He's like, basically, he ends up saying, you know, kind of hinting for me that he's, he's protection. Okay. Protection from me then. 
you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm your new partner. I don't want to the whole thing. I'm just your new partner. And, uh, he just forced a forced partnership. And it turns out to be pretty lucrative in the end, uh, because they start selling. They start doing a lot of things. Yeah, that's true. Um, but any, it goes in, he's been in for 25 years. So he doesn't know about things like Uber or, uh, even debit cards or anything like that. He's been in prison for 25 years. Um, he, he probably knows about them, but he doesn't know about them. He knows of them. Um, but you know, they gave him a, a, a cell phone that actually, you know, is a, a smartphone. Um, then he gets a driver's license so he can get a debit card on the set in the second episodes. Uh, and then he goes and he insists on being Bodie's supplier. Um, uh, Jimmy after uh, like he, he educated himself on the intricacies of legalized marijuana. He wants to cut a better deal with Jimmy for a better product, which leads to one of the most hilarious moments in, in the, in this, the episode or in the, in the series for me. But, uh, but he, uh, he gets a better deal. That's the, that's the, uh, the, the cracker episode, right? Yes. Yeah. And he's sitting there, he's just eating this. He sits down and it's a beautiful home and they have this gel, this jam, uh, apricot jam sitting out with crackers. And then Dwight is cutting this deal and he's talking he's like, well, I don't need this. I don't need you, but here's, you know, the guy's like, you know, what was it? I forget how much per unit they wanted, like per, like. Uh, for for the marijuana, but he said I'll, I'll take, I'll give you fourteen hundred, and then it goes down to a, 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 you know a thousand, it goes down here, and then it goes here, and then then it settles out, and that's what it is from now on. You know, he cuts a better deal, and he goes now think about it because the offer only lasts until I, I swallow this cracker, and he eats it, yeah. and everybody starts laughing. He goes, "What's the problem?" He goes, "That apricot jam that you've been you know shoving in your face, that's infused with THC," and he goes, "How infused?" And he goes. Heavily, man, <laughs> and everybody just stops. And he's like, "This is a guy that's going to probably, you know, that could pull, uh, you know, pull a pull a pistol and just or or just start beating on people." And he just starts giggling. He goes, "I thought I was wondering why I felt so good." Yeah. And, and <laughs> lo- oh my gosh, I was losing it, dude. Oh, it was so- great, and the way he plays it, just so straight, and then just can break you with that line is great. It's why it's why Sly was really well cast for this role. Absolutely, absolutely. We've got everything from DEA, DEA agents that uh, that well, the one DEA agent, uh, she's DEA agent. She's out with friends and she meets up with him in the first episode and ends up sleeping with him. Uh, which he is, you know, he just does his thing. He's not even drunk or anything. He just goes and throws on the charm, and then she finds out that he's seventy five and she almost throws up on the floor. <laughs> Which was great. Which was hilarious in its own. He's like, hey, man. And he's just sitting there just like, I'm Stallone, you know, like, you know, abs and pecs sticking out and everything else. And he's like, I mean, come on, you know, I'm 75. I think the, the whole line was, she goes, how old are you? And he just laughs. And she goes, okay, let me put it this way. Where were you when Kennedy was shot? And he was like a senior in high school. Yeah. <laughs> Which, when he starts giving her the clues, and he's like, uh, go up a little bit. Yeah, up a little bit. 75 years old. And uh, so, but she can't help but stay. She can't stay away from him at this point. Well, she's um, also an alcoholic, so. Yeah, she's an alcoholic. <laughs> but, yeah. But we've got DEA, agent, DEA agents. We've got FBI. We've got marijuana dispensaries. We've got, they start selling um, 
balloons filled with uh, uh, nitrous oxide. Nitrous oxide. Um, I was going to say nitro for some reason. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you've got motorcycle gangs that are getting into his business. You've got um, uh, old friends that think he's there to kill them, and they you turn out and they on a horse farm. They turn out working for him. Um, I mean, everything. I mean, he works for everything he's got in this show. And it is, like I said, absolutely one of the most compelling shows I've ever watched in my life. And, yeah. And we've heaped a lot of praise on Sly and, and rightly so uh, for this yeah. and for the, the creative team. But there's, you know, for me in this cast, like I think the cast themselves outside of Sly do a tremendous job. Uh, Bodie. I, Bodie, Martin Starr, who, you know, we remember all the way back from his days is Martin on Freaks and Geeks, you know, or Bill yeah. on Freaks and Geeks. I can't believe that's the same guy, the same kid. <laughs> and uh, but no, he starts like he he starts off as the stereotypical, like doesn't want to hurt anybody, stuttering, like what why are why are you doing this? What I mean, what what do I need protection from? And and then man, all of a sudden they've got a pistol in his hand. And he's kind of questioning. He's like, "What? What are we learning this for?" And he's like, "Well, it's better to have it, you know, because there's there's something coming." He goes, "Okay," and just starts shooting again, you know. And one of uh, one of my favorite scenes is when like Dwight's trying to figure out a new way to money launder, and he uh, Bodie basically introduces him to the concept of crypto. Yes, which was so great because like <laughs> in the twenty five years with everything he's missed, maybe maybe the biggest. Uh, least scam that you can have is crypto and well, the thing about it is uh all the mafiosos and you know the people that are in charge there well in that show i should say you you kind of get to know their character they would never think of anything like this no this is this is completely a different world for them so they're used to their rackets and their protection and you know the cigarettes and the alcohol and the, unfortunately some of them were drugs and and things like that uh, and then you you go past that, and he and he's now he's earning in crypto, you know. Yeah. He's he's, he's, well, he's not money, not yeah, earning, and, wandering. Yeah, and, and just cleaning himself out and not having any kind of dirty money on the books, which is phenomenal. And yeah, he learns that through Bodie, who probably wouldn't have you know had the courage to go on and do such a thing had he not been prodded by Dwight in the first place to do it. Right, and, you, and, and that's part of kind of the cool part about Dwight's character too is that he's kind of. Uh, a launching point for a lot of these other characters in the show to kind of see their potential out in certain ways. Like Tyson, for example, is, is a yeah. great one. Um, and the, oh my goodness, I've, I've had all my, my stuff written down in my notes and I can't find him right now, but the, the owner of the bar. Oh yeah. Mitch Keller. Mitch. Yeah. So he's, so he's one that just kind of like through the whole thing, he just, you know, played guitar and sat behind the bar but now, now that you know, uh, Dwight walks up to him. He says, "Hey, you know, do you need a partner? Or I want to be your partner." And he's like, uh, "I can't remember what the situation was, but it ended up they're 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 partners in the bar now. And he's not just making it a bar. He's he's opening up and redecorating and redesigning things and making a, a live music and and uh, a casino now because uh, apparently somebody." "Quote unquote has uh, Native American blood in them. It's probably like an 18th of uh, 18th Cherokee or something like that. So they're they actually get a license to open up a casino. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, Mitch's bar itself is on Cherokee land. It is, yeah, and that's part of it. So they go again to their their weed supplier, and it's going to be in his name. Yeah, 
because he does have that, you know, partial Cherokee ancestry. And oh, that's right. Yeah, I was thinking it yeah. was in uh, I was thinking it was in Mitch's name, but it's in his name. Yeah. Yeah. So that's who they're going to get the gaming license from to be able to operate the casino. And uh, but Mitch, another one who has some great lines like, um, you know, there's the part where. Uh, 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 oh, God, Waltrip, the biker gang leader. Yes. He's kind of Dwight's featured anti ant ant uh, enemy through this. Uh, there's a part where he has his dirty cops because, of course, you know, you're operating in the area. You pay a couple of dirty cops on the payroll. He has his two dirty cops kind of scare the shit out of Bodie when they abduct him and, you know, drive him around. They don't charge him with anything, but they're really just there to put a scare into him. And they bring him back and they bring him back where? They bring him back to Mitch's bar. Yeah. And when Mitch is there, he instead of like cowering or caving them, he goes, right now you're on Cherokee land and you have no authority here. So you can get the hell out of my joint and leave my friend. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Mitch is getting yeah. into it. All right. I love it. The other, the other uh, with the dirty cops, they pull him over. They pull Tyson and, and Dwight over. I think it's the next to last episode. And Dwight actually gets out of the car with his hand stuck in his belt with his coat over it. And they're all, of course, shouting, you know, get your hand off, you know, get pull your hand out, take your hand out, take your hand out. And he just walks up to him and just calmly says, right now my hand is, you know, grasping around a 357 Magnum. And he just goes on to say, hey, I'm going to shoot you if you don't leave me alone. Go back yeah. and tell your boss this. I know you're dirty cops, blah, blah, blah. And they, they all just like, they look at each other and they're like, yeah, well, okay. And that's, and that's, that, that to me, that was the, the response. No matter what line it was like, well, whatever and they just get back in their car and drive off and i was and, like and, oh, and this, this is amazing because again that's the third time they've hassled dwight in some manner where at first yeah. they hassle Bodie, they hassle tyson they pull him over they basically throw him in lockup for the night on bogus that's charges right. and they yeah. do that and you know tyson you know they, they rob him with 1200 bucks he doesn't get his stuff back when he gets out um but tyson to his credit does you know what Dwight would want him to do is a stand-up guy. Doesn't say anything about Dwight. Doesn't give him anything, and they can't mm -hmm. hold him. And I like the dynamic of Tyson kind of finding his confidence through his interactions with Dwight. Mm -hmm. and, and I think he's played really well. Uh, the actor's name is Jay Will, and I don't. I really haven't seen him really in anything else. I haven't either. I was looking at him. Um, well, the the thing about Tyson being um, being with Dwight, being part of Dwight's crew is. It's odd because it, first of all, it was a little bit of a different dynamic because because Tyson is black, and you don't find many you don't find many black guys you know black people in the mafia. It's strictly pretty much just Italian, uh, you know. So, um, but he took to you know he took him. He's like, hey man, I'm gonna teach you some stuff, but I want you to stay out of the out of the the crime game. You know the crime game, but no matter what, Tyson's like, no, I want to be you. I want to be the rings, the suits, the power, just like us, you know. And then, but he gets, you know, he gets, he's working for him. So now he, he gets smack in the middle of it. He gets, starts getting arrested and getting shut down and stolen from. And, uh, but like and you I, said, he's a stand up guy and he doesn't say anything. And I like the dynamic that Tyson has with his father in the show. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Where it's very clear his dad isn't, his dad doesn't know exactly what's going on, but he has a pretty good idea of what it is and what it's encompassing. And yeah. has some pretty harsh talks with his son over it about what he's doing with his life and where it's going to go. And um, one of the, one of the big features in this is we've talked about, there's an escalating feud between Dwight's crew and the bikers that have yeah. been in the area and been operating in the area. And it's going to come to a head where they're going to basically attack at Mitch's and Dwight's bar. And they know the bikers are coming to get them there. 
So rather than let his son be in there and take the brunt of it, oh. Tyson's dad goes in and goes up with these guys to take on the bikers. And it's one of those moments where it's like, oh, man. I'll be honest, that one almost broke me because I was like, this dude knows and has actually said that he can't, you know, he can't support his son in the decisions he's making. Goes and grabs a loaded shotgun and goes to work on these guys that are threatening his son, actively threatening his son. He doesn't really care about anybody else in there. He just wants to protect his son and that he does and that. And um, so it's 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 one of those it's one of those moments where like um, they to me they really hit that fatherly love note on the head. That was powerful to, to watch. Absolutely, because it was just like wow, this dude who didn't stop his son from moving out of the house because he told him you can't stay here anymore. He basically kicked him out because he was you know he's working for a, a criminal, and he's like you can't stay here anymore, son. Your mom can't handle it. I can't handle it. You got to go. And so he kicked him out. But yeah, even after that, he still grabbed a shot, grabbed a gun, and defended his son. And, and that's that's the thing I think a lot of shows and, and movies maybe miss at this point in time. Um, yeah. Because they, you know, there was an issue the other day where it was uh, the critical drinker on YouTube brought it up about how they don't know how to write men anymore. And that's something yeah. where, you know, I didn't get to experience it, but you did because you had a great dad. Um your dad's not going to agree with everything you do. And he's going to actually be pissed off at a lot of stuff you do. Amen. But his love is still going to be there. That's true. And, you know, that's that's how a man reacts to things. He'll tell you straight up, like, what you're doing, I can't support and I don't agree with. But it doesn't mean he's not going to love you. You're not his son at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Right. And so that dynamic between the two of them was incredible. Like, I, I loved seeing that. That was so well written. Each guy played their part so well. And, and I think that was great. Um you know, and and let's talk about kind of our, our we have we have you know Andrea Savage as Stacy is really the female lead of the show, mm-hmm. but we also kind of get a secondary female lead in Dana Delaney later. Um, yes. So and, Andrea Savage plays Stacy Beal, um, who's our you know DEA ATF agent who initially gets mixed up with Dwight at random in a bar, doesn't know who he is. And then finds out after the fact, oh, this is a very high-ranking mafioso from New York who is well-connected, has done several, several bad things, and is now in Tulsa. What the hell is he doing here? How did, how did I get mixed up in this? Right. But like any uh, toxic relationship, she just can't quit him. And, <laughs> you, you know, has some issues on the side where you find out she's struggling with alcoholism. She is in mandated therapy from her job um, mm-hmm. based on her alcoholism and is kind of on uh, on a slippery slope and a little bit of a tightrope at work where she kind of can't afford a lot of mistakes left over. And that's going to play right. into our finale. But a lot of what she does is try to support Dwight from the sideline because the way she's looking at it between uh, Waltrip and Dwight, Dwight's the lesser of two evils. And she's not technically she's not technically on his case so much as she is on Waltrip's case. She, he is who she has been after. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. Dwight doesn't deal in drugs so much as like well, he doesn't run them like. Um, depending on your thought on marijuana being a you know a narcotic and drug, he's not dealing in illegalities. That's true. That's it is legal. That is that is true. I, had, I I'm, it's not legal here, so I, I have just, I struggle with that you know, putting that in there. So he's dealing, I mean, he's not dealing in illegal anything. I mean, really anything. Um, did we lose Pat? 
Uh oh, I think we lost Pat. He's got his he's got his login. So we'll just keep watch and make sure. Um, so he's got um he's he's not dealing in, in anything illegal. So we're gonna make sure. Boom. There he is. There he is. For a second, I'm sorry. That's all right, my friend. But um, but he's not like you said, he's not dealing in anything illegal, really per se in any facet of any term other than the laundering but that's coming up because you know you gotta you gotta you gotta watch your money but uh but these guys are nasty they are dealing in illegal drugs and 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 extortion murder murder extortion cops. yeah everything that you can think of they got their hands in uh, so he's got to go up against this not you know she is investigating them and wanting them to take them down but in, all the whole time they're, for some reason, they're also uh, they've got it out bad from uh, for Dwight and Freddie as well. Um, so they find out that she is, you know, seeing him from time to time, um, and then it, it just goes off. It goes bad from there, to be honest with you. Yeah, and again, it's kind of like Dwight. You're an ex felon engaging in illegal activities, even if they're not necessarily outright hurting anybody. You're still committing crimes. Yeah. You know, Stacy, you're a law enforcement official who is basically on kind of like a probation at work, I guess we'll call it for some instances with your alcoholism and stuff. And you decide you're going to get involved with this mafioso to a certain level, whether it's just a physical thing or whatever it is, you're involved. You have a personal (laughs) relationship with this person and you, you can't break from that. And so it's, one of those things where you know that this is not going to go well for you one way or another. Like it's just not going to happen, but yet you still tie into it. Insist on it. Yep. I think she does play a really great conflicted role where she's Mm -hmm. trying as much as she can to divert attention from Dwight and his activities to put them onto more wall trip because that's who she's been investigating. And yet she can't separate herself enough where the ties to Dwight aren't obvious and raise a lot of questions from, you know, her superiors. And eventually that culminates in, you know, the finale, which we'll get to a little bit later. And it's, it's, it's well done. And I'll tell you this, like the therapist office definitely gave me uh vibes like back in, you know, Tony Soprano and Dr. Melfi's office. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. that way. Yeah. And I'm glad they didn't overdevote time to it. She's a character who does need that ability to internally monologue. And, you know, we need to hear those thoughts out, right? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things, and if you actually notice, the person playing her psychiatrist or psychologist, whichever she's seeing, was the dean of Columbia on The Sopranos. <laughs> um, Holy but, crap, dude. Yeah. Holy crap, you're right. That's That's wild. Yeah, Dean Ross uh, from the from yeah. Columbia on The Sopranos, but also with part of that, um, in the the a lot of the the mysticism of the original Sopranos was hearing Tony talk to a therapist and dialogue with it. Now by season five, it kind of got played out because you understand that this is just a fruitless exercise, and that's why they phased it out more in those latter seasons where they understood the premise of it is kind of lost its novelty, and now people just kind of want to see a straight up mob show. Right, um, right. Here, it's still purpose driven, which is good for the writing. And, and it, we didn't get an overabundance of it. I think we got two instances of her talking to her therapist about what's going on with, you know, 
that yeah. stuff and her drinking and all that. So I think I think that was you know well handled. No, I'll agree with that. That yeah, um, to say yeah to say that the therapy scenes in The Sopranos weren't ones that I fast forwarded through after a rewatch would be I would be lying if I didn't if I said that. But uh, yeah, but uh, they didn't overdo it. Um, it 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 gave you the information that you needed for the character, and it was done well. Um, so absolutely, I agree with that a hundred percent. Um, so along with her, there's a, there's another uh, female character in this, uh, you could say maybe supporting role, um, is, is Dwight's daughter. Oh yeah. We could, we need, we could talk about Tina too. Yeah. So she's, she's an interesting character. Um, at first you think, at first I thought she was going to be your, your typical, um, bratty, I'm a I'm a I'm a gangster's daughter, you know, kind of like I'm a criminal criminal's daughter. I won't forgive him, you know, because he left us and he was gone for 25 years and everything else. But Tina has some; she's got some some depth to her. Uh, there were things that happened while he was in prison that <coughs> Dwight, of course, of course, doesn't know about. Um, yeah, and uh, that really lends to to building her character and why she is a little more unforgiving of him than she needs to be. Or well, then she, then we think she needs to be, and then when those things start opening up, you're kind of like, oh, wow, that's yeah, I can, I get that now. We um, we can understand her being mad at the idea of her dad having gone away for 25 years because he was involved in illegal activities, and as a result, that cost him and her their relationship basically because he just wasn't there, he wasn't around, and we're right. gonna be. That's enough to understand why she'd be upset and maybe not want to have that go on, but. Like you talked about, she drops a little bit of more of a revelation on us during that time. So apparently, while she was uh, while he was in prison, um, there was uh, an instance where um, Chicky is the is the gentleman that uh, sent Dwight to Tulsa. Uh, that's that's right. the the boss's Chickie's, son. Yeah, Chicky is the underboss of the family. He's right. he's a step below his father, who is still alive at this point and is the acting boss of the family. But apparently, one of Chicky's men, Nico, um, uh, and you know, warning and everything, she was raped by, by by Nico. And despite Pete swearing to protect her, you know, Pete, this guy named Pete was going to protect her the entire time while Dwight was convicted. This unfortunately still happened. Um, and then finally, at twenty five years later, almost you know, he, I know he, you know, as a father, he would feel twenty five years too late. Uh, and you know, of course, with with her. It's just, you know, it's something that, you know, like she doesn't care what happens to the other people. It just he wasn't nobody was there to help her. But uh, Dwight gets pissed and beats Nico to death in front of Chicky and Vince. Yeah. Like, and he, 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 gets, he gets there because we find out while Dwight's in Tulsa that his brother passes away. That's right. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So he, he asks to come back to New York to be able to attend the funeral of his brother. Uh, after he got a call from his sister, played by Annabella Shiora, who's another favorite of mine, uh, also a former Sopranos cast member in a recurring role. I knew that um, one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, she she makes the call and everything, and he goes back to Brooklyn, and he's going to you know, be at his brother's funeral. And he's talking to Chicky about it, and Chicky kind of guilts him. He's like, you should be seeing my father. He was like a brother to you, too. and mm-hmm. Stuff that wouldn't necessarily go on. Like, it's kind of understood in that instance, you know, unless you're, you know, 
a federal witness that you're going to be allowed to come back and, you know, say your goodbyes to your brother or whoever else it is. Um, you know, but that's when he sees his daughter for the first time. And, you know, however many years after he had tried to call her and talk to her and she wouldn't talk to him. And, uh, so they're having this, this kind of family dinner gathering after the funeral service. And you can feel the tension there. And he's yeah. trying to just kind of say, Hey, let's leave the past in the past. Let's, let's build forward as much as we can. And doesn't go well, visits her at her, fl- her flower shop where she's a florist. And that's when she drops the bombshell. Like, you know, I found out why they called Nico the package. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he, you know, he goes and, and she makes him promise that he's not going to do anything, but he doesn't actually promise that. No, and, he uh, does not. Yeah. And sure enough, he goes and beats Nico to death based on that. And at, this is after he went to the hospital to see the boss of the family. And basically he's like, you did, you, you know, kind of strong arming him into admitting he knew, but he really didn't know that this went on uh, when he talks to Pete and uh, the boss. And, you know, he, that's when Sly realized, okay, he didn't know, but you know, maybe somebody else did. I don't know. And he just takes it upon himself to do this in front of Chicky, who's the underboss um, and kill the guy. And basically kind of tries to rebuild his relationship with his daughter invites, you know, when he finds out that there's probably going to be some kind of retaliation tries to get his daughter, her husband, and the kids to come down to Oklahoma to visit. And sure enough, her husband does get beat up at some point. And yeah, he can't That's outright prove it. But he's very sure that it was Chicky sending guys to scare him and, you know, do whatever. Um, and, and so you get that instance. But Tina, at least, is more open to, at this point, seeing that her dad really does love her, really does want to be a part of her life. And thinking that he has started anew, is willing to give him that second chance and does go to Oklahoma to see him in, uh, in the finale. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I think the conflict is there. It becomes a little, a little less guarded than it probably would organically at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But we also know that there's some time that's passed between those events and the finale. So we don't know exactly how much time. Well, the bar um, has been, I mean, the bar in the finale between the, the the gunfight between um, the the biker gang and Dwight's crew, um, the that is a massive gunfight, uh, and actually ends up Dwight um, with one of the coolest moves I've ever seen in a in a in a fight. He just runs up and and beats the crap out of um, uh, the leader, Walter grabs his head. And slams it against the wall, and I thought he had slammed it on a, a, a pair of antlers that were on the wall. I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's how he killed him!" But no, he pulls out that three fifty seven that he has on him, and just sticks it up underneath his chin, his chin, you know, like between the ear and the chin there, and then turns his head and doesn't even look at him, pulls the trigger. And I was like, "Oh, oh, that's even colder. That's just cold, man." He's just like. It's like, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me. Boom, pop. And I was like, and he just watches as the guy slides down. He doesn't even watch him slide down. He just puts it back and he walks off. Like he's taking out the trash. That's that's how how it that's how little that man meant to him. Yeah. It was just it was just another, you know, another thing they had on the checklist. And he just walked off from it. And then we have our third kind of female that we mentioned earlier, uh Dana Delaney as Margaret Devereaux. Yeah, he's the owner of the horse ranch that Sly frequents and then eventually buys the wild horse and has posted up there and hires uh, the former waitress, Spencer, who is his daughter, Scarlett, in real life. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. To kind of oversee him at the ranch. And uh, 
Dana Delaney is somebody who I've loved for a long time. I have had such a crush on Dana Delaney since I first saw her when I was young. Yeah, I just think she's so beautiful and still is. Uh, And it doesn't hurt that she's a great actress. Oh, absolutely. She's there to be a big contrast to Dwight and kind of wake him up a little bit in certain ways. Like Mm -hmm. after she gets to know him a little bit, she says, uh, you know, how would you like to have dinner with me? And Dwight's like, you know, uh, we'll do. And I don't think he took it in the way that a woman shouldn't ask a man to dinner. But knowing that he's been away for a while she or, or out of that loop for a while because she doesn't know he's been away yet. Mm-hmm. She'll learn that at dinner. Um, but she's like, yeah, it's the 21st century. Sometimes us gals like to do that type of thing. And you kind of laugh at it. And she has this subtlety and nuance to when she delivers her lines that really just makes them feel very natural and yep. almost that, you know, we're not watching a performance. And I just always think that she's never gotten enough credit for that. I agree and, with you because what I, I, I didn't, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. Well, what I know her from, and I'm dating myself here is a, a little show called China beach. Yeah. Uh, she was amazing in that. I mean, like there were, I, that show was just great. It was just, this is just good. Uh, and then uh, right after that, where I really honestly, like you fell in love with her, thought she, oh man, she's gorgeous and she's a wonderful actress. Was Tombstone, yeah, uh, and just how she was just playing the the aloof, you know, actress and how she was, you know, I just oh man, I was you like Kurt Russell so mixed up, he was chasing her on a horse. And I, I and I would I agree, I, I was like I would do that too. And I was I was <laughs> a young I was a young man. I was like I didn't care at that point. I was like, well, if a girl don't like me, I don't like a girl. No, I would be like, no, I would chase that woman. I would oh, yeah. chase her with, with I would on foot if she was on horseback. I wouldn't care. But she was but she's just a you know, like I'm singing her praises right now, but she's just wonderful. I love it. I'm glad somebody yeah. else has an appreciation for her. Oh, absolutely. And and again, she the the dichotomy of her versus the rest of the characters we've seen and interacted with, she is not a criminal. She is no. not involved in any type of law enforcement. She is an independent businesswoman who owns her ranch and runs her ranch the way she likes it. And it's kind of refreshing to see that type of character in a type of show like that where there's no BS or no strings attached. She's just who she is, and she's doing things her way. Absolutely. And, uh, one of the, the fun little cameos for me, and you and I talked about this a few days ago, was uh, we see Alan Autry show up as her ex-husband. And whenever that happens, we just go, it's Boba from In the Heat of the yeah. Night because we love Alan yeah, Autry. It's Boba. <laughs> oh, and, man. Uh, but that was a nice little surprise to see uh, Alan Autry show up and uh, yeah. as the ex-husband. It has a nice little kind of inter- exchange with Sly about, like, I know what kind of man you are, man, Freddie, and, you know, that type of thing, which is fun. You know, a little bit of macho one-upsmanship between two guys who are clearly kind of jonesing for the same lady. Yeah. And felt pretty natural, so I like that, too. Um, and, of course, actually, you know, her character leads us to Armand, Manny who was a mafia associate of Dwight's in New York, who literally just ran away years ago when he broke the oath and just tried to start a new life for himself and wound up there. He's played by Max Casella, again, a Sopranos feature player who played Benny Fazio on that show for a while. And some of us mm-hmm. know him best as uh, Vinny Delpino on Doogie Howser still to this day. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> but uh, he, you know, he uh, – he, he he's there and sees Dwight gets freaked out thinking, Oh my God, there's a contract out on me and Dwight's here to kill me. He tries to turn, it goes both ways. And then they figure out, no, neither one of us is here to kill the other. We just both happen to end up here. Cause they sent me here and you just wound up here. Cause you ran here. 
how about you start doing some business, Armand? And Armand, you know, again, we talk about Dwight being a launching point for a lot of these characters to find themselves or at least some level of themselves. Dwight mm-hmm. kind of, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, gives Armand his balls back. And he, he says as much basically to his wife when they're having dinner and she doesn't like what he's getting involved in. And he said, you know, I've, I've ran and ran and ran. I'm standing my ground now and I'm being a man, basically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she doesn't really like that, but that's how it is. And he becomes pretty invaluable to Dwight through this whole thing. And it's pretty awesome to see that relationship play out where Dwight does need somebody like that who is has been in the life and knows what's going on and knows how he thinks. Because while it's cool he's rounding up, like the mob guys say his crew down there is like the village people. He's got a black guy. He's got a cowboy. He's got this, you know. And it's a funny comparison, but – he needs somebody there who can kind of understand where he's coming from and do what needs to be done. And Manny's perfect for that because he did live that life. Yeah. You know, Dwight can kind of teach these guys certain things and obviously they can teach him a thing or two, but he's got to have somebody who knows where he's going with things before he gets there. And that's what Manny's good for. And it shows in the, in the relationship. This show, there's so many dynamics to this show that we could sit and probably talk for three hours on it. Yeah, um, or more, and the just like you said, uh, another little favorite. You know, I hate to do you know to 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 just kind of go oh geek out over, it, but I can't help it. Was when uh, when Chicky came to Tulsa, and uh, did we, we uh, I'm having a brain fart here, but um, and he you know he stepped out and they were talking to each other. He said, "You got to come to me in my hotel," and he's like, "Well, you." You didn't come by and say hi first. And he's he was telling him, he's like, if you, you know, I'm telling you to get the hell out of Tulsa, get out, get out of out of my place. And he said, these guys, you know, basically he said, these these are my guys. And these these guys, these Native American guys just start popping out of nowhere with them. Revolvers two and, that Mitch had brought in from the rodeo yeah, circuit. Big dudes, you know, like yeah. scary, hard hitting looking dudes. Only thing missing was bad face. <laughs> right, yeah, I was one to see bad face there, man. And uh, but and he goes and you know basically said, "This is my backup, so you need to get out." And yeah. he just basically insults Chicky in front of him, who and, has and, at that and, time killed his own father. So Chicky is the now family. the boss of the family. Yeah. So Chicky is now the boss, and he's telling him. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. This is my spot. You're out. You and know, steals get, get back to New York. And, and he steals Goody, who came to visit him a few episodes earlier. That's right. Yeah. And he, Goody, again, we flash back another Sopranos guy. He played uh, Billy Leotardo on the fifth season of the show. And uh, but he he had come to visit Dwight to try to. They sent him down first because he and Dwight had had a good relationship. He's about the only guy in that crew that's since coming out that Dwight didn't have any kind of beef with. Yeah, and Goody goes down, sits with Dwight, thinks everything's cool, goes back up, and then Chicky basically makes it known, yeah, we're going to take Dwight out. And Goody's following orders, you know, goes down there, and then eventually Sly, you know, gives has well prepared for this visit, has everything lined up he needs to, and basically tells Chicky where he can go. Yeah. And – has and I'm just as icing on the take takes Goody with him, and yeah. now in real life would that ever happen? Absolutely not. But in the context of the show, it was a phenomenal moment because you get the idea that Goody does not respect Chicky as a leader at all through the course of it. Mm-hmm. Goody doesn't like that we're breaking from conventions, you know, that are mob rules basically to do the things that Chicky just seems to want to do and act on impulse rather than thinking it out. 
So does it make sense that he would go over to Dwight? Absolutely. Because, you know, they nicknamed Dwight the general because he's named after Eisenhower, but it's also how he conducts himself in business. There's always a plan. There's always, I'm doing this because 20 steps down the road, it's going to lead to this. Right. And that's fundamentally better for business. And that's why Goody (laughs) jumps over. He's a smart leader. He's a, he's a leader that thinks about his people too. So when it comes down to it, I'm sorry, it's Chicky. Chicky's just jealous. Yeah. And he, he's, he's, he stemmed jealousy from the beginning where, you know, things like his dad saying, if I had a son like Dwight, you know, things of that nature. Um, and we've gushed over all the positives of this show. Mm-hmm. I have to call out a negative here or there. Yeah, absolutely. My biggest negative on the show is Chicky Dominic Lombardozzi. Um, Not a fan. Yeah, and, and I feel bad because I feel like I always pick on the guy because in a lot of stuff he's in, I point to him and be like, I don't like this because of that. And I, I point to Dominic Lombardozzi. And I don't I want I don't want to make this personal. Like I'm sure he's probably a really nice, good guy, but he's never played a part that I've enjoyed. And more often than not, he's played a part that has gotten a very negative reaction from me and a lot of other people, as a matter of fact. Um Yeah, that's very true. I don't know if you watched Entourage, Ronnie. A little bit here and there. Yeah, he he was introduced in the third season of Entourage as the fifth member of the gang from back in Queens, and mm-hmm. he got such a negative fan reaction from everybody um, upon his introduction into the series. I like, actually remember reading about that. Yeah, everybody hated Dom, and yeah. like so they had to write him out more before they really even intended to. And then Doug Ellen, who was the writer of that series, said, "Oh no, I like the character. I'm going to bring him back somehow, some way." They brought him back for one episode, and that was all people could stomach, and that was it. They wanted to just wrap it up and end his thing. Yeah. Uh, he was the lead in a show on A&E called Breakout Kings, and I yeah. never heard yeah, I never heard anything positive about that show. No. Uh, and in this show, his performance stands out as very bad to me. He comes off as a guy doing an impression of a guy in a mob movie to me. Um, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. I and, and, I Go ahead. One last thing I'll say is, yeah, at no, the very fine. least, people who are critical of this show, like from the pilot, he was one of the things they pointed to and said, look at that ridiculous wig on him, which I'm so glad that they <laughs> worked that into the show that it's a wig that everybody knows it. Yeah. Thank the Lord for that, because they tried to make us believe that was a real hairstyle. Like, I was going <laughs> to be like, come on. But this is also why you got to let things play out sometimes. Yeah. I, you know, this, uh, with me, I've, I didn't have anything for him, but I didn't really care. Does that make sense? Like he was passable. Yeah. He was passable for me. Of but but like you said, now that you've pointed it out, it's 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 going to stand out to me that he's doing an impression of a guy. He's a guy doing an impression of a guy, and I and now that's going to bother me. Thank you, Pat. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, he wasn't anything special, and I hate to say it like that. But to me, he was. He could be replaced with just about anybody. But yeah. he was doing his job, and that's how I felt about it. But now I, I see your point, and I'm just like, well, yes, he could be placed, replaced with just about anybody, and I wish they would, or they would just write the character off now. But we'll see what happens, and we'll let it play out. They hired him for a reason. Yeah. But, uh, but you know. Which, you know, I'm sure we're not done with seeing, you know, the New York crew, uh, no matter how much it looked like it, when Dwight basically told them, you can F off and head back to New York. Right. Um, you know, I'm sure that's not the end of it. And what we'll get, you know, 
we, so we have the established where Dwight establishes his operation in Tulsa. He establishes his partnership in the dispensary. He establishes his partnership in the bar, turned bar, live entertainment venue into a casino partnership and has his crew, his inside circle of guys. He's got his driver who he's schooling, you know, which a lot of that's how it works in the mob. Basically, a lot of guys, they'll pick somebody out of, you know, the associates, the young associates and you're my driver. That driver, they take to school and teach them basically the ins and outs of things and groom them yeah. to become somebody later. And that's kind of what he's doing with Tyson. He has his trusted, you know, consigliere at this point, which is Goody. He's got his underboss at this point, which would be Mitch. He's got his money guy who supplies and, and Bodie. He's got a partner in this business and the dispensary and the casino. He's established his world and his presence there now. But. In doing that, he's made enemies in the biker club run by Waltrip, who he does eventually kill. He crosses paths with the ATF based on his relationship with uh, Stacy, and now yeah. gets into their crosshairs because of that. And eventually, unfortunately, because of Stacy being sloppy with her work, she loses an informant who gets killed by Waltrip um, and really kind of just blows her investigation with the shootout that she couldn't get a collar on or any kind of conviction on. She's put her personal relationship with Dwight is found out. And unfortunately, because of that, she has to give up Dwight for what exactly we don't know yet. But we do know that in the last episode, when everything seems to be coming up rainbows for Dwight, including having a relationship with his daughter again. Right. All of a sudden outside, the ATF pulls up with the FBI and they arrest Dwight right outside of the venue. And we don't know exactly what he's being arrested for, but his daughter basically at that point looks like she's just given up on him for good. Which is yeah. the most the most yeah. crushing defeat of all for anything in the series oh. for anything that's upset us like that's probably the big one where it's like that one was rough. You work so hard to get back there and, and you're gonna be okay and then just gut punch right there where we find out he is being arrested. We don't know ultimately again what like we said what he's being charged with, how many charges he's facing, um, and ultimately who's prosecuting whether it's the FBI, the ATF, the whatever. We don't know if it's on RICO charges at this point, but it's something. Um, and, you know, at that point, despite everything he's got set up and going, that happens. And that's going to lead us into season two. Ultimately, is probably going to be we're going to find out what he's facing, how he's going to have to try to beat it and what's going to happen to his crew. If he does indeed have to go away for a little while, who exactly is going to be in charge? Is it Goody? Is it Mitch? Are they still going to be able to run things as cohesively without him? And what's going to go on with the relationship with his daughter, her children, all that? And does New York hear about him taking another collar? Does he flip on New York to get out of this and give them information on those guys since he's out? What we don't know. And that, yeah, and and, and like I said, that has me completely hooked. I I cannot, man. It's the bad thing about these shows. I gotta wait for so long now for season two to come out <laughs> and continue this on. I mean, I love, I love it. There are several shows now that have been that that have caught me. Um, and Yellowstone is one and I, I wait until it's out on streaming so I can watch them all at once and just, and then that, and that, that ruins me too, because I watch them in like two or three days and I'm like, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> oh, and, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pick your poison because like with this show, it was releasing once every Sunday on Paramount plus, And I was catching it every Sunday, the next one, the next one, I didn't let yeah. it build up. I wanted to see it, see it, see it. And then finally it's that last episode. And once that, you know, 30, 40 minutes went by, I was like, that was it. Oh my gosh, you're stuck now. I gotta wait. I gotta wait. No, how yeah. do I do? What do I do with my life now? Kind of a deal. <laughs> uh, so, 
that that being said, this is uh, I mean, like, is there anything else in this show? Because um, we, we're going on we're going on an hour now. Um, is there anything else in this show that you would want to point out or you have anything to say about? Um, it's just you know what? It's it's a really good approach to a lot of detail in the series um, for all its dramatic license with how things would occur versus how they wouldn't occur. Um, I think it's handled really well. Again, if if the only real complaint I have about this show is is one particular cast member and the role they're in, I yeah. think it's doing pretty good by me. Um, and, and honestly, like I was kind of skeptical of the half an hour premise for this show, but you know what? Half an hour to you know some of the longer episodes go about forty minutes or so. It mm-hmm. feels like the right time frame for it, as opposed to trying to force an hour in where you it's have to just right. some dry time in there. Yeah, it's just right in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think they also show it on the Paramount channel as well. Oh, cool. So I think, I'm not sure. I'll have to double check. Maybe not. Uh, but uh, I know they show uh, Yellowstone on Paramount channel because my dad has it. Yeah, Yellowstone airs its current season on the Paramount network. Yeah. Uh, whereas the first four seasons are available to stream on Peacock, I know. And at Paramount, Paramount uh, they'll, the fifth season will be available on Peacock as well, I think. Yeah, I think we're keeping streaming through one and showing it on the other. That's the plan right now. Yeah, and then but uh, <laughs> but yeah, this show is. I, I probably I'm probably wrong about the Paramount Network with this one, but this show has me honestly itching for another one. I hope they're yeah. filming it right now. Um, like I said, there's only a couple shows that have done that to me. One was Stranger Things because I just want to see how it ends. I just want to see where the craziness goes. Yeah, the kids are getting to be the, the kids are like 45 apiece now. Um, but you know, it's just like enough's enough. Let's, let's, let's do this, you know, kind of deal. Um, there's another show on, on Amazon. It's called the legend of Vox Machina. That's an animated show. Absolutely ridiculous and phenomenal. I can't wait for the second season to come out. Yeah. For me, Uh, it's, it's Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. That was the the last season is in fact, the next season is in fact the last season and they kind of wrap everything up. I figured it would be. Yeah. Cause I mean, you have Terry Silver. Where do you go out? Where do you go from there? Yeah. Yeah, so I know he's your favorite. Yes, he is. <laughs> so um, there are very, and I find it hard to to get into shows anymore because I have, I, I, I absolutely, you know, I decimated my my cable. I turned it off, but I do now that these Paramount and Peacock and and Disney, they've all come out with these show these television shows. Sometimes you got to weed through the crap with them, especially on Netflix. But this <laughs> one is definitely a diamond you know, in the rough, this one is worth signing up for Paramount plus for if, if not anything else on there, this one is absolutely worth the watch and worth the, worth the monthly subscription. Yeah, totally agree. So, uh, with that, Pat, what, what, what's going on with you, man? Where, what's, what, I know we do plugs and everything, but tell me what's going on with you, man. So yeah, we can do a couple plugs. Um, yeah. Right now, I'm doing uh, current series is the history of boxing that we brought back for another season with myself and Mark Radlich, and uh, we had a guest appearance from the the legendary uh, hibernating Gavin Napier on our last oh, episode. Oh wow! Yeah, where we talked about the uh, legendary 2005 first installment of the fight between Jose Luis Castillo and the late Diego Corrales, uh, one of the great boxing matches of all time, an instant classic if there ever was one. Uh, where we talk about kind of the ins and outs of that fight and how it went. Uh, Our next episode is going to air on February 6th, where Mark and I are going to talk about the very controversial fight between Julio Cesar Chavez and the late, great Pernell Sweet Key Whitaker. Oh, Uh, yeah. Keep keep an open lookout for that. Uh, 
We're going to be doing that on February 6th. It'll be airing. So if you guys are marking your calendars, please mark that one down. Um, Gavin and I have something in the works, hopefully, now that he's got a little bit more regulation going on at the house and things are coming up into play. Gavin and I are going to be kind of uh, taking on a look at a thing called Best Bout Machine, where we're going to objectively kind of take a look at a couple of wrestlers every now and then, and we're each going to pick out what we believe to be their best bout and why it was such and kind of debate the merits of it versus each other. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah, sometimes we'll agree. Sometimes we're going to – well, many times we're probably going to disagree, but uh, <laughs> we're going to have that open discussion and kind of talk about, you know, from a lot of different angles. What, what made it a great match? Was it the in-ring work? Was it the story? Was it, you know – the selling was it because they sold more tickets than somebody else you know all those things are going to come into play and we're going to objectively kind of talk about it uh we'll bring up the facts the history around it what happened and kind of almost similar to the history of boxing series we're doing now we're looking at a series of uh highly famous uh infamous and controversial fights along the way we've got uh mayweather pat we've got uh mayweather and uh or not Mayweather, excuse me. We got uh, Whitaker and uh, Chavez on February 6th. We're going to be following that up with a couple others. We're going to be having Alexis Arguello versus Aaron Pryor in the Wayback Machine. We're going to have the Morales Barrera trilogy, which is my favorite three fight series in the history of boxing, as far as I've been watching. We're going to have uh, a megasode about the four fight uh, series between Manny Pacquiao and Juan Manuel Marquez. So we got a ton of fights on the docket that we're going to look through the history of the fights themselves, the circumstance, everything surrounding it that made it so important to look at and view. So that's kind of what we got going on here. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, I love boxing. I don't, I don't like most sports. I don't keep up with the actual stats. Most of the time, I just like watching it. I love to watch boxing, but man, I love to watch, listen to you and Mark and, and Gavin, y'all know your stuff, man uh about you know boxing and definitely in wrestling as well so i enjoy that that's that's it's uh definitely something that uh that needs to be listened to there uh but we do uh, it all for you ronnie that's right that's it's it's all for me man the way i know what's going on in the world <laughs> but <laughs> uh as far as me uh i have a, a twitch channel that has been um a little abandoned at times but we're getting back into it uh we do a bi-weekly live stream of Dungeons and Dragons. Now, if you if you're a, if you're a RPG nerd like I am, that you've heard of the open gaming license. The open gaming license was something that was set into effect 20 years ago by Wizards of the Coast, uh, who own effectively own Magic the Gathering card game uh, and Dungeons and Dragons, as well as a couple other things. Um, and now they are owned by Hasbro. They they wrote an open gaming license saying that anybody could write anything a supplement for their fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. As long as you don't use uh, copywritten names and things like that, you know, like instead of, you know, like a beholder, they can use a, a gazer or a, or whatever, you know, a seer or something like that. Um, but you could use these things and they could be used with the game. That's what kept Dungeons and Dragons alive. And now recently Hasbro has said, who, who was acquired, Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro said that Dungeons and Dragons is not monetized enough and leaked out uh, OGL 1.1, which said that everyone would owe them everything, to be honest with you. Uh, that if you made over 750K a year in revenue, you owe them 25% of that. As well as if you make $50,000 a year, you have to report it to them and have a badge and they can take anything they want from you without telling you and use it. Uh, and then it would target small streamers and large streamers alike, content creators and things like that, and get as copywritten uh, uh, strikes, copyright strikes. 
Um, that is something that is going to be coming up this Thursday as I'm bringing back Screaming Boy Productions uh, for uh, one more time for a Screaming Boy one-shot, D&D and the OGL. So I'll be discussing that and what it could do and what it could have done and the fact that Hasbro has rolled back on this stuff, uh, Wizards of the Coast has rolled back on this stuff because the outrage and the outpouring of the community, which is kind of divided at times, um, because of the old school and the new school and things like that, they were like-minded, banded together and said, no, F you, this is not what we want. So we'll be discussing that Thursday night at 9 o'clock um, right here on the Radulation Broadcasting Network. Uh, I'm bringing, like I said, bringing back, uh, bringing back uh, Screen Boy one more time. Um, we'll see if it, if it sticks or not. Uh, probably not. But... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I just want to talk about that because uh, role-playing game is games are kind of a passion of mine right now. Um, I've got more than three or four games that I'm doing right now, uh, and some of them I need to start streaming again. Um, but not just Dungeons and Dragons, but we do Call of Cthulhu, Kids on Bikes. Uh, I've learned there's a I mean, I've learned how to play the Fallout game, GI Joe, Transformers, uh, Power Rangers. All these are role-playing games that we have discovered, and I've learned to GM. Uh, we'll be diving into on our Twitch network soon. Um, and that is an open invitation to anybody on Radulous Broadcasting Network that wants to play. I'm going to be setting up these games soon. If anything sounds good to you, let me know. I'm also learning another one called The One Ring, where everybody gets to uh, be a hobbit and uh, <laughs> make your way to Isengard at that point. Uh, and then there's, you know, Alien, the role-playing game based on the movie. Uh, yeah, it's phenomenal. I saw that look there, there, Pat. That's it's a yeah. phenomenal. I've not had a party survive yet, <laughs> so I would look forward to it every time, hoping they do survive. Uh, I'm not, I'm not that benevolent of a GM. I will, I do hope you you make it through, but I'm not going to help you. But uh, but it is, it's a lot of fun. Uh, where we we have a blast every time we do it. Um, another one is like I say, called Cthulhu. It's based on. Lovecraftian mythos, um, uh, you know, Cthulhu and, and all the others that I can't pronounce right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's a lot of fun. Every place, everybody plays detectives that work for Miskatonic University. So if you like that stuff, keep in tune. It's it's Misfits and Miscreants on Twitch. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Misfits and Miscreants. Um, we'll, be, we'll be doing some more stuff on there soon. Um, and as far as that goes, uh, that's pretty much it for me. Uh, so we'll say this, Pat, you got anything else left? I do not, sir. Well, it's been an absolute blast sitting here with you, Pat, uh, and doing this show. Uh, we love Tulsa King. We actually highly recommend it, um, to anyone in, uh, at any time. So, uh, we'll probably be back to the top season two. Oh, I'd guarantee it. Absolutely. So for Pat Mullen, I am Ronnie Adams. Mark Radulish is not here. Uh, we're going to say have a wonderful night, and we'll see you on the flip.